morning. I don't know about you, but that really gripped me at the end there, stirring us a passion for your name. I think I need to be stirred with a passion for his name. There are so many things in life we can get passionate about. But the name of Jesus, that's worth it, isn't it? Let's just pray as we start. Lord, I just pray that as we come to your word and we try and hear something of what your heart is for us in the way that we should live and the way that we should show who you are to others. Lord, I just pray, would you stir in us a passion for your name? Lord, we're not satisfied with with mediocre. You are an extravagant Lord who pours out everything. You give everything for us. Lord, just give us a passion to pour out everything that we are, everything that we have for you, for your name, for the name of Jesus above every other name. Amen. So, my name is Dan, by the way. Hello, for those of you who are visitors and don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Dan. Um, I'm uh, one of the elders here in this congregation alongside uh, Chad, who is living out the value of going to the nation um, up in Benoni. Um, and this morning, I want to start by asking you, who's seen on social media that very popular kind of video that's, that's on, that you see a lot right now about animal rescue? Animal rescues. Do you know the kind of thing I'm talking about? You see it on social media. Like, you know, family go out into the garden, they find a poor little baby squirrel. Aww. And then, you know, it's an orphan. The family call it Nutkins. And then, you know, they raise it by hand and they give it milk and little treats and things. And then eventually Nutkins, who turns out to be Notkins, if you catch my drift, then she has her own family. And then, you know, Notkins brings her family to the... And then it's like, oh, and we laugh and we cry. And yeah, who's seen a video like that? That kind of thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. These kind of rescue videos. Well, they really tug at our heartstrings, and that's okay, because you know what? God gave us emotions for a reason. They're good. So, you know, we, we feel those emotions. There was another clip just recently. Um, there was a, a baby bison, a little baby bison calf, this kind of big, and it was, it was struggling to get out of a river in the Yellowstone National Park in America. This was a couple of weeks ago. And so a passerby saw the calf struggling and jumped in and pulled this baby calf all covered in mud out of the river. And so all the other people, you know, from the coach party gathered around and cleaned all the mud off and sorted the, the baby calf out and, you know, saved it from that river. And it was, you know, such a happy story. Um, but then that baby calf tried to go back to its herd. And that baby calf smelled of people. And that herd rejected the baby calf. 
So the baby calf, because now it was attached to people, then went to try and find people and was playing around roads and things. And eventually, the park rangers had to shoot the calf dead. And you guys are going, what are you telling us that for, Dan? It's like, go back to Nutkins. We like that one. I don't like that one. Terrible story. It is. So why did I do that? That was like a horrible thing to do to you on a Sunday morning. Well, the reason I did that is because often when it comes to love, we understand the feel-good love. We understand how to show the nice, fluffy love, the love that, you know, ends in a big smile and a happy story. But sometimes what we think might be love actually isn't love. Sometimes what we think is love is actually foolishness. A few weeks ago, I, I preached on what love is. Well, actually, I preached on what love is not and then got to what love is. Who was here for that preach? You remember that preach? Most of you. Okay. And uh, quite a few people after that preach came to me and they said, you know what, I'm so challenged by that because I think I've had a bit, of a, a bit of an incorrect idea of what love is. And now I see that God is love. God is something that I should be. Not something I do, but something I should be. And then my actions should come from that place of who I am. If I truly am love as God is love. And they said, this, this, this just challenged me. And I think I've got it skew before. And so now I want to know, how should I be expressing love? How should it change? I, I get it. There's something that shifted in me, but what now, how do I love? Practically, what does that mean? And it's a good question. Because if we've got something in us and we never express it, you know, I could have a great sense of humor, but if I never tell a joke, how will you know? I could have a real sense of honor, but if I never show you respect, how would you know? I could have deep love within me, but if I never show you love, how will you know? So this morning, I want to talk about how we express love. And it's important. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. So God shows love. You have to do something, right? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So I want to talk this morning very briefly about how when we love, we need a Nutkins kind of love. Not a Yellowstone love. We need a Nutkins kind of love, a love that actually brings joy and brings completeness. To start with that, I'm going to talk about how we should love within. Love within. I heard a story a little while ago about a guy, sorry, about a girl, a girl and a guy, they were dating, and the girl kept pestering her boyfriend about when he was going to pop the question, when he was going to propose. And this went on for a while, and every time there was kind of like, you know, a romantic event, like 
he took her out for a nice meal or something. She was like, this is it. This is going to be the moment. And then, you know, they had a nice meal and she was waiting for the thing. And then they, he paid the bill and they went home. And she's like, nah, come on, come on. And so they, then later on, he'd take her for a picnic down on the beach. And he'd be like, this is it. This is, this is what she's like, you know, she's getting all excited. And then he'd spread the picnic out and like put the nice things and they would sit. And like she'd be waiting for, you know, the minstrels to pop out from behind the rock. And, you know, she, and then, you know, they would have their picnic and then he'd fold his picnic thing up and he would put it in the basket and they would go home. And, uh, and she was like, what's going on? And this went on for a long time, a long time. And eventually, one day, he said, okay, will you marry me? Will you be my wife? And at that point, she turned around and she said no. Simply because she felt she'd been nagging him so long that he's proposing to her just because he felt like he should now. And not because he really wanted to. Because he'd had plenty of opportunity before and he'd never done it. But now, he just felt, she felt that he was being obliged to ask. That's a silly story, but it's a good point. Because even though she got what she wanted from him, she thought, when it actually came, she thought it was from the wrong place. The wrong motive. It was out of obligation. It doesn't mean the thing itself is bad, but where it comes from reflects our true state. I think we sometimes do that too. We think there are actions that we have to do, but maybe they don't come from the right place. Maybe they don't come from love. I would go so far as to say this, and this is quite a controversial thing to say. I'm going to suggest you can have actions without love, but you can't have love without the actions. Does that make sense? You can have actions without love. You can do the actions but not mean them. But if you have love, it will result in action. Love is more than the do. I, uh, I heard a, of a, a thing that came around churches, um, wasn't in, in our church, but other churches not so long ago called love bombing. Who's heard of this? Love bombing? No? A couple of you have. So they did this in some churches. I heard about it in the States, in the UK. What they would do is they would select a target, someone they thought they wanted to bring to church or a recent visitor to church, and they would say, right, we need to love bomb this person. So they would get a team together, and they would deliberately go and shower this person with affection, with attention, and like make them feel like the most special thing on the face of the planet in order to make them feel loved. Do you think it worked? <laughs> Not really. Because you know, you know when someone's loving you and when someone loves you. You know the difference. Because it, it matters where these things come from. We know when we're being loved and we know when we're being manipulated. It matters. It matters to God as well. In the Old Testament, we read about how God asks things of the Israelites. And he asks them to sacrifice and things, and they do, the, they do these things, right? They do their sacrifices and stuff. Um, but they often do it out of a, a sense of duty, like, God's asked to do this, so I'm going to do it. Let's see what God's view on that is. Isaiah 1, um, verse 13 says this. 
Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Stop bringing me love offerings that you don't mean. They stink. That's pretty harsh language. But I'm going to suggest something to you. And this is radical, I know. If you are going to host a community because you just think someone you're obliged to or you think you're just going to make someone happy because they've been nagging you so you're just going to do it or you're going to take someone a meal just because ugh, well everyone else has so I suppose I have to as well please don't no I'm serious if, if really if, if you really care so little about doing something for people that you're doing it begrudgingly just because you have to, don't host community. Don't take someone a meal. Don't try and do an action unless it comes from a place where you actually want to do something. Yes, I know that sometimes we do things we don't want to because we want to stretch, right? Maybe you're like, I'm, I've got a small place. I'm really at my comfort zone. I would like to love on people, but I just don't know if I can have them. Then do it anyway. Stretch yourself. That's great because your heart's in the right place. But if you're not loving from within, don't pretend. Life's too short. Is that unfair? Despite the fact that they were up and down all over the place, the Israelites finally did get a chance to do something for God after all their messing around. Finally, under King David and then Solomon, they got to build a temple in Jerusalem to God. Listen how King David expresses the heart of the Israelites. This is 1 Chronicles 29, 17. Listen to what he says. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willing willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly our people who are here have given to you. Love from within. What joy it would be if we, as a body of believers, showed love to each other, not because we felt obliged or because we had to, but because we just had it so bursting from within us that we loved each other with joy that overflowed. Wouldn't that be awesome? So firstly, love from within. Secondly, love whatever. Whatever the cost, whatever the circumstance. Some time ago, I was working at a software company, and one of the guys at the software company had got recently engaged. This wasn't the guy from earlier. This is a different bloke. Um, <clears throat> why are my stories about guys getting engaged? Anyway. So he had got recently got in, engaged, um, this guy there. And... Uh, he was, he was quite stressed. He seemed to be bothered by something. And I was having lunch with him one day. And I said to him, Bert, that's not his name, but I'm just making it up. Bert, what's up? You, you seem stressed. You're bothered. Like the last couple of days, you've not been yourself. What's going on? You should be happy. You've just got engaged. Life is great. And he said, no, he says, I'm having doubts about the engagement. Ooh. I said, really, Bert? Why? 
you know? Did, did, do you love her? He goes, oh, I do, so much. I said, well, that's great. Why do you love her? Oh, because of how she makes me feel. And on one sense, that was lovely. I mean, it, if your person, if your fiancé doesn't make you feel great, that's a problem, right? So, but is that a good reason to love somebody? Because of how they make you feel? Because what happens to Bert if he gets married because of how great she makes him feel? And then they have a change in circumstance. They're working long hours. Maybe they have a kid, and so she can't give him the attention that she used to give him and things. And, you know, suddenly he's not feeling that same amount of stuff. He's not feeling so amazing because she's not fe- she hasn't got the time to make him feel so special. What happens to the love that he had if it was dependent on how she made him feel? Actually, what he was actually saying, although he didn't know it, he was saying, I love her because of what I get from the relationship. I think actually a lot of friendships, marriages, yes, but friendships as well, break down because we feel like we're not getting from the relationship what we used to get. We use words like, it's become toxic. Um, in the, in the world, there's actually a, a psychological theory that talks about how every relationship is a balance between costs and benefits. And as long as the benefit you get from the relationship is more than the cost, you should be in it. But as soon as the cost outweigh the benefits, you should ditch that relationship and go on to the next one. That's pretty depressing. I've seen posts on Facebook, you've probably seen these things as well, quotes, and they say things like, you know, if someone isn't good enough for you, drop them and then find somebody else or move on and things like that. I'm going to suggest something radical. What if our relationships, what if our relationships with people were not based on what we got from the relationship, but of how much we could bless those people in God in that relationship, no matter what the circumstance. That's a pretty different way of looking at a relationship. So take marriages, for example. So those of you who are married here know that uh, the blessing of marriage marriage is a, um, it stretches you. It's a challenge sometimes. No, I'm serious. It is. You know, marriage isn't easy. But I know that my wife is a daughter of God that has been entrusted to my care. She does love me. She honors me. She does. She respects me. We've got a good marriage. But did you know that I'm called to love her not because she loves me? I'm called to love her not because of what I get from this relationship. I'm not called to love her because she respects me or builds me up. I'm called to love her unconditionally selflessly until death do us part, even if she was to reject me and run away from me and say she wants nothing more to do with me, did you know I'm still called to love her? Absolutely, unconditionally, selflessly. Because it's not about what I get. It's about what I can give. That might sound hectic. You might think, I'm not sure I can do that. It's what God does. It's how he loves us. 
we saying just now about how unfaithful Israel were. Listen to these. These are God's words in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. These are God's words. Talking to the unfaithful people. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. So he's talking about his bride. The bride broke the covenant, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, God is saying, Israel was unfaithful. It was an unfaithful bride to him. And what did he say? This relationship isn't good for me anymore. I'm ditching them. No. He said, I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to love them. Whatever the cost, I am going to pursue them. And you know that's a prophetic word about you too, right? Because he pursued you. Every single one of us is unfaithful. He pursues us. We've got to put away any measurement of relationships based on what we get from a relationship. If we have true love within us, true love means we love whatever the cost, whatever the circumstance, we love despite it all. I need to say there just to bring some balance. I do understand that sometimes there are relationships that may be abusive, emotionally, physically abusive. I'm not suggesting that we subject ourselves willingly to abuse. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. I think that we as people will walk away from something that we think is broken way before God was ready to walk away from it. We have to have love within us. We have to love whatever the cost. We also need to love widely. Love widely. Um, you've probably all heard the expression we use in church. I know it's a cliche. Um, make the circle bigger. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know why in South Africa, whenever anyone says make the circle bigger, people keep singing a song like make the circle bigger or something. Is, is that like some song here or something? Is it a song? All oh, right. Okay. I wondered. Like, you weird people. Anyway. All right. So anyway, so this, this song that you sing, you know, it's a make the circle bigger. It's a good idea. It's like it's, a, it's, a, it's the heart of things. That's what we do in church. We make the circle bigger. We bring people in. We make space for people, make them feel included. But the strange thing happens as we make a circle bigger. This weird phenomenon, right? When you have a small circle, what happens is that someone comes into the circle and immediately we go, oh, someone's come into the circle. We invite them for a coffee, we invite them for dinner. We get some friends with them and gather some other friends, and we go on a walk on the weekend, and we make them feel, you know. As the circle gets bigger, you know what's happening? Well, we're already meeting a friend for coffee, and uh, we've already got the Dumini coming for dinner, and we had to plan with our family to go walking on the weekend, so we think, it's okay, someone else in the circle will do these things. You know what's happening with that someone else in the circle? They've already got a friend for coffee. They've got the other Dumini coming for dinner. 
and they're going to have some special time walking their dogs on the weekend. And what happens is this person that's come into the circle actually is not being drawn into family. If we believe in making the circle bigger, it's not about bringing someone into this space or community. It's about bringing someone into this space, into our lives, into our hearts, into our homes. Now, the world, the way they try and do this, they create a um, a shared space. So they often find, you know, there's a group, you know, runners or cyclists or movie watchers or whatever it is. They find a common interest, and they try and build around that thing. And that's not a bad thing for us to do. Find shared interest with people. That's great. But we have to go further. We have to go deeper. We have to open our homes and our hearts. In Matthew 5, 46 to 48, it says this. If you love those who love you... Or you could rephrase that. If you love cyclists because they like cycling and you do too, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, it's not enough just to open a space and say, come and join a social club. There's your space. You're part of us now. That's not enough. And if we think we've got a little holy huddle in the church, a holy huddle, you know the word holy means to dedicate yourself to God, right? If you've got a holy huddle, that's not a holy huddle. That's an unholy huddle. Because if you really dedicated yourself to God, you'd be going out and finding people and loving them. That's the heart of God. Now, wisdom here, that doesn't mean that you should go to, like, the nightclubs and the shabines every weeknight and, like, you know, try and find people there. And, okay, because as it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, um, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So I'm not suggesting that you throw yourself into the world to find people and bring them in. What I am saying is this. When you are at, ch- ch- at school or at work, or at the sports club, or whatever it is. You need to find people that need to be brought into family. Do so. And it's your responsibility, it starts with you, to actually make them feel that this is actually a home and not just a place. So bring people into our space. But, balance. You also need to be able to love people in the church doesn't mean that we should avoid meeting our friends. So I have seen it before where there are some people that have got such a passion for the lost that what they'll do is like they'll say, well, uh, Monday I'm meeting this person and Tuesday I'm going to serve at this place and Wednesday I'm going to this place. And you say, well, what about your brothers and sisters in the church? It's important to remember to meet together. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says this. You all know this very, very well. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know we're in the last days? Do you know the day is approaching? So that means we should be meeting and encourage each other, what? More and more. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a home group in the UK, um, a church of people I knew, 
And uh, it just so happened it was the start of a new term, so they were talking about what they were going to do for their home group. And they were saying, I think, should we maybe uh, read a book together? Should we do a sermon series? You know, what should we do for our next term of home group? And they also said, and also, there's not, the attendance isn't great. So how can we kind of like motivate people to, to come to book club? You know, and I, I listened to them for about an hour strategize about this, about how they could basically motivate people to, to come and hear a sermon every Wednesday. And... Um, and after an hour, I said, listen, guys, guys, can I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but can I just share with you my experience of home group that we call community in South Africa? And they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, well, what kind of thing do you do? So I told them, you know, sometimes we'd worship. Sometimes we'd pray together or pray over someone. Sometimes we'd have a meal. Sometimes we'd play stupid games. Those of you in the Achis community who came to my house a couple of weeks ago, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes we'd read the word, we'd cry together, we'd laugh together, we'd do life together. And I was describing these things that we just do naturally, and they were like, oh, ooh, ooh. And then the leader of the home group, when I was done, they said, that sounds like a New Testament church. And I was like, oh, They've got it. They've got it. And then they went, but that doesn't work anymore. I said, why? Well, that was 2,000 years ago. Culture's changed. I said, well, have people changed? Do we not still need Jesus? Has God changed? Doesn't he want a relationship with us? What's changed? The only thing that's changed is we put God in a box. Friends, if we're going to do this life thing together... We have to bring people into a place where we can open up our lives. Bring them into that space and love them well. As we do that, it's also important to love wisely. Love wisely. Just a very quick story. In 1995, Iraq was under uh, United Nations sanctions because they, yeah, they invaded Kuwait and called, caused the Gulf War. Um, those of you may be too young to remember that. It's in your history books. But this Iraq had done a whole bunch of nonsense. So the United Nations had put sanctions on them. That means they couldn't trade. And critically, they couldn't sell their oil. Now, oil was what Iraq used to build their war machine, right? So by stopping them being able to sell oil, it meant they couldn't go to war. Great. One problem, side effect, it also meant they couldn't buy food and medicines for their people. So there was a real problem here. The United Nations saw this and they went, well, we're causing a humanitarian crisis. What do we do? So they created a scheme they called Oil for Food, the Oil for Food program. And they basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it basically said, we'll buy your oil from you or we'll allow countries to buy your oil as long as you promise not to use the money for military and as long as you promise to use the money to feed people and give them medicine. So as long as you promise to do that, we'll buy your oil. How do you think that worked out? Yeah, so eight years later, when people realized that Saddam Hussein and his cronies had actually taken all that money from the oil and basically used it for their own nefarious purposes, um, 
The US and a coalition finally invaded Iraq and kicked out Saddam Hussein. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. That's another debate. But the point is this. The world's attempt to help them because they felt guilty of what they were doing actually enabled even more corruption and devastation because they were not wise in what they did. Noble, to be sure, and foolish. Now, you might say, we'd never be that daft. We'd never be so naive as to actually do something so silly. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen someone in a tight spot financially and given them some money, even though you knew they were struggling with an area of addiction? Have you ever praised someone on their achievements, even though you know that they're struggling in finding what their identity is in God? Have you ever given a non-judgmental listening ear to someone venting about their husband or wife when you knew their marriage was in trouble? Because in all those things where we think we're doing something loving, what we're actually doing is damaging them. Makes us feel better, but it doesn't help. We have to love wisely. Compassionate hearts are a wonderful thing. God gave us compassion. God is compassionate. But compassion has to exist hand in hand with its ugly sister, wisdom. Proverbs 4, 4 to 6 says this. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forget, forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. It's not fashionable to talk about love and wisdom in the same sentence. I mean, you're like, what's wisdom and love got to do with each other? Love is this wonderful, expressive, spontaneous, beautiful thing. And wisdom is this boring, containing uh, thing, right? But I tell you what, if you put love and wisdom together, you have an incredibly powerful thing. Incredibly powerful. But it's not easy. We had a situation in church a little while ago. There was a, a single mum who was struggling to put food on the table. And she would come to us and say, I'm struggling financially. And um, can you help uh, as a church? Can you give us pantry maybe? Um, can you help financially to pay the rent and things? And so um, we dug into her story a little bit and we found out she actually had a pretty good job. Uh, in fact, when we dug a bit more, we found out, you know what was happening? She was getting her paycheck, and then she would go and take her paycheck when she got paid, and she would immediately go out and buy clothes and jewelry. And then she'd have no money left to put food on the table for her and her daughter. So she'd come to ask us for the money to pay for the food on the table. Now, were her and her daughter hungry? Yes. They were. They were genuinely hungry. They genuinely were struggling to pay the rent. What do you think would have happened if we'd just gone and given her money? 
Would that have helped the situation? It would have made us feel better. It would have been easy. Listen, let me just give you something. The loving thing to do, though, was actually to take the hard road. And trust me, it was hard. This particular person, we had to meet with them. We had to understand their finances, help them, counsel them. We prayed with them. We tried to create support groups for them. We did deliverance with them. We tried so hard to bring this person through. Ultimately, she left the church because she just found that we weren't giving her what she needed. (laughs) Subsequently, we found out later on that there were some people in our church that actually hadn't got the message of what was going on. And they'd actually been giving her money and stuff quietly because it made them feel good to help, to love. And that lady just stayed broken. Loving wisely is hard. It's not just about finances either. It's also about the things we say, the things we do, the support that we give each other. If we want to really love people, love wisely. And if you're not sure about what to do in a situation, you have an entire family of people here that can help you with good counsel. So you can say to your comm leader or your friend or one of the elders or a deacon or something, you can say, listen, I really want to help this person because they're struggling in this area. What shall I do? And they'll say, well, let's talk about it. Let's find out their situation. They'll give you good counsel so that when you love people, you can love them into healing and not just love them into the reinforcement of the place of brokenness that they're in. I know that I've missed it before. I've seen situations where I've seen situations where I haven't said anything because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. I, I knew a woman who she was struggling in her witness to people at work because she had a problem with something. She was in our Christian prayer group. I knew she had a problem. But I was scared that if I spoke to her about a problem, I'd hurt her feelings. And to my shame, I worked with her for three years. I never spoke about it. And she was broken the day I left as the day I arrived. And the witness of who she was in Christ was damaged those three years. Because everyone would see and talk about the fact that she was addicted to something. And I never said anything. That wasn't love. That was fear. So I want to land. So I want to talk about one last thing. I've given you some quite heavy things here. I've spoken about how we need to love from within. Love has to be from within us. I've spoken about how we have to love whatever, whatever the circumstance, whatever the cost. But I want to finish on a high. I want to talk about how we should also love wildly. Love wildly. We've got an incredible opportunity in this life. We don't know how many years we're going to get. But for the years that we do get, we have an opportunity to show God's love to a world that is hurting, 
that is lost and that does not know what true love is. And you know what that means? When you show true love to them, it's different. They see something in true love which is different to everything else. And it will do one of two things. When they say true love in action, when they see true love in action, for some of them, they'll run. For some of them, when the Holy Spirit works on them, it will attract them to the foot of the cross. I don't want to hold anything back. We were talking about the treasure in the field. Selling everything. Giving up everything. Well, totally we should, because that's what God did. In John 15, 9 to 14, Jesus says this. As the Father has loved me, now remain... Sorry, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Do you get this high calling? Do you get what Jesus is saying? He's basically saying, I'm commanding you to lay down your life for another, to live self-sacrificially for another. And if you do that, you're my friend. In other words, <laughs> if you don't love like that, if you hold back from each other, can you expect Jesus to be your friend? Because that's not what he's asked you for. He's asked you to give everything. That's a high calling. We have to show love for each other. How we spend our time, our emotions, our resources. And I'm going to give you something on a freebie. If you're sitting here saying, yes, I want to love like that. I want to love totally within, I want to know that it comes from within myself. I want to understand God is love. That's in me. I want to love other people, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what they do to me. I want to love them anyway. I want to bring other people in and love them too. I'm going to guarantee you one thing. This is a freebie. You're going to get hurt. You will get hurt because you know what? Jesus got hurt. Peter, his faithful disciple, I love you, Jesus. Soon enough, I don't know you. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be betrayed. Don't stop loving people. Love wildly. You may find there's people you struggle to like. That's okay. Start by loving them wildly. You may find you're, in your marriage you're struggling to connect with your spouse. That's okay. Start by loving them wildly. That's what it means. The sincerity of the love we have for each other is how wild we are in our love. That's how you test it. Paul tests the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 7-9. He's talking to them, giving a, a love gift to the Macedonian churches because they were struggling. And he says this, he says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love we kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you. So in other words, I'm not telling you what to do. This has got to come from within. 
But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We've spoken about the treasure. This is the treasure. It's found in Jesus. When we take all that we have, all that we have to give, we give it for each other because we love then Jesus can make us rich. I'm going to finish with the words of Paul from Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Paul says this. He says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love. This morning I just tried to give you a few practical pointers on what it means to love. (laughs) If the love is within you, what does that mean for practically how you love, love each other? Maybe you found it a bit heavy this morning, a bit of a challenge. Good. Because we can all do better. But to start on this journey of love, we have to understand how Christ loved us. Because if we don't know what it means for Christ to love us, we're going to find this thing of walking in love impossible. I mean it, impossible. Not hard, impossible. Because if the love of God is not the love that's within you, if God's Holy Spirit is not within you to empower you to love, all we're doing is trying and never actually walking in it fully. So I don't want to finish this morning without giving you an opportunity to have the love of God in your own life if you've not experienced it before. So this is what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you. Can I just ask us all just to close our eyes, bow our heads? And I want to ask a simple question of us this morning, of every single one of us. Do you know what it means to have the love of Christ living within you this morning? Have you given your life and surrendered your life to Jesus so that he can come and put his love within you for this life and for eternity to come? If that's not you, if you're like, I don't know what that is, but I know I need it, I would love to pray with you this morning because you're about to start the most incredible journey. While every eye is closed, there's anyone like that this morning who says, I need to experience that love. Can you just put your hand up for me just so I can pray with you? I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. We're going to have an opportunity to say a prayer together now. 
As one gentleman put his hand up. And we're going to pray together. Then we're going to celebrate. <laughs> because that gentleman is just about to take the most incredible step into an experience. <laughs> which is like nothing he'll ever experience before. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you can all just pray along with me. We want to pray this together. Just as a sign of unity with that one, one guy. And let's introduce him to Jesus. Let's pray together. Pray after me. Jesus, I thank you that you loved me. You loved me even though I am a sinner. Even though in my heart I've rejected you, you loved me anyway. And this morning, I'm going to open my heart and I give it to you. I accept you died for me. And I want your spirit to live in me. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And the life you are giving me. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Round of applause, please, for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and for the guy who put your hand up, I'm going to get some guys to pray with you at the end. Thank you for that. For the rest of us, for the rest of us, before we close, are you ready to do this thing with me? It's going to be hard. Honestly, it will be. I, I'm, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's going to be hard because true love is hard. But you know what the Bible says? It says that when you love deeply and when you love as God loves, it says he's going to fill you with joy, complete joy. So I can promise you two things. I can promise you, number one, this is going to be hard. Number two, I can promise you complete joy as you do it. Because that's the word of God. I want that. I want more than anything, I want the complete joy that comes from knowing that the love within me is able to love you, my brothers and sisters, the people in the world that need to hear about Jesus. Then I know joy is mine. So if that's you, if you want to experience that joy yourself, stand with me. Let's just pray a prayer of commitment. Just as a body of believers, let's just give ourselves afresh to our King. Yeah, Lord, as we stand here, we just recognize that you gave everything for us. You held nothing back. And Lord, this morning, we commit ourselves afresh to you. We want to love like you love. We don't want to love by the standards of the world. We don't want a fluffy, feel-good love. We want a love that changes lives because you changed our lives. We want a love that enriches, that builds, that brings people closer to your son, Jesus. Lord, by your spirit, will you empower us with that this morning? Give us wisdom. Give us faith. Give us understanding. Help us to know how to speak, when to speak, when not to speak, when to act, when not to act. And Lord, in all these things, May you receive the glory, the honor that is due to you. 
So Lord, we stand here united as a body. We give ourselves afresh to you this morning. Come by your spirit and do what you do in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.